interesting times uh, in our city and community uh, and the world. And uh, people seem surprised when there are four people living on the earth and 25% of them are murderers. Uh, I've heard more people say, like, man, things have just gotten so bad. Well, yeah, the origination of people in general, the four people, 25% of them were murderers. 25%, one out of four. The times have just gotten so bad. You know, you know what's gotten so bad is sin has always been heinous. That's what it is. From the beginning in the garden through the, ch- the children of uh, uh, Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel to us, like our, our sin is, is insanely deplorable. Uh, so folks who have done crazy things in our community the last several days, it, we seem surprised. Like that somehow this, this isn't what the sin nature does or is. As horrific as the acts in Iraq are. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure it gets more horrific than beheading children. And all of the, the feelings and the thoughts that go on within us. I say we should not be surprised. This is the depth and the weight of our sin. This is what it does. This is what it is. This is sin in its, maybe you would argue, its ugliest form, but it's sin nonetheless. I just want to point out to you tonight, like, the beginnings of this. We haven't gone too far from this. Like one brother in his rage of his sacrifice not being accepted to God turns to murder. And so now here we are, thousands of years later, still doing the same thing. It's the same sin, maybe played out in a different, more creative way. But I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight, we begin with the uh, agreement, I hope, with you, that sin and the weight of it, we just do not understand. It's either too insignificant in our hearts, or we've escalated it so much that that's all we think about, and never a Savior. And listen, tonight's passage is going to challenge every facet of that. If you've, read ahead, if you've read ahead, you already know this is like one of the weirdest passages in the Bible. It's strange, okay? Uh, we'll see the classic verse, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So we're going to have to explain biblically what that means. And there's so many other principles that will come from tonight, but the base principle that we begin with is your sin and my sin is horrific, and the effects eternally detrimental. Um, but there are answers for those things. So all of that said, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. Uh, we're going to study um, 32 verses in Exodus and a whole bunch of other texts as well. So we probably will be done by midnight and uh, looking forward to that. Uh, it's great to be back with you guys. Jared did a great job uh, last week, our first week after the Ten Commandments. Uh, teaching now God's structuring community. Uh, he's setting up community. He's helping people understand how to live interpersonally And then, just honestly, some strange things. Let's start here in verse 1 of Exodus chapter 21. When you're there, say, I am there. Thank you so much, my brothers and sisters. Now these, verse 1, are the rules that you shall set before them. These are the words, the rules. Give them these regulations or these statutes. When you buy a Hebrew slave, at least we start out like really lighthearted, you know? So many of you thought that slavery wasn't in the Bible. And many of you thought that uh, like a Hebrew slave wouldn't be in the Bible. Like when you buy a Hebrew slave, this is written to Hebrews. So when you buy a slave that's one of your own, here's what he goes on to say. He shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free 
uh, for nothing. So every seventh year, just like the seventh day in the Sabbath rhythm, the seventh day in the Sabbath rhythm is a day of freedom, ceasing and celebrating. It's a, a day of remembering the power of God. Very similar. On the seventh year, we're going to release all slaves. Now, before you get too far mentally like God condones slavery, let me remind you what they're coming from. They're coming from 400 plus years of slavery in Egypt are the Israelites. 400 plus. Great, 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 great grandpa remembers that maybe one or two, too many greats, but like he remembers a, a time where there was freedom. But everybody else, all they know is slavery. All they know is devaluing humans. So what God does is he says, listen, I'm going to gift you with something. I want to help you. I know you're going to try to revert back to the Egyptian ways of enslaving and devaluing people, but I'm going to teach you a new way. Here's how. Often in Israelite slavery, the reason why there were slaves was because there was a debt to be paid. So in other words, like you, you do something to my family and all of my oxen have to go to you, and then there's more debt on top of that that has to be paid. Well, the way I would pay that is you would take me as your servant. I would pay you back with my service. It's like when you've dined and dashed at McDonald's one time and then you went back and tried to wash the dishes or something. Same principle. Like, I'm going to give you my time because I, I don't have any cash, right? Well, the premise is there's a value of life, though, with that. I'm not sure if you've ever studied ancient Egyptian slavery, but I'm pretty sure that you won't see in the statutes that every seventh year all the slaves could go free. Do you see that? In fact, do you see that in any other regime of slavery? The answer is no. God is valuing life. Listen, sometimes there's debts to be paid. But don't pay that debt with devaluing life. Every seventh year, every slave gets to go free. Listen, there's going to be um, eight of these principles, of these laws, okay? And so I, I want you to, to see these as a whole, and then we'll break them down uh, singularly. So here we go. Verse 3 gets even more interesting. If he comes in single, he shall go out single, which is a really big bummer for some of you, right? Like, that's a waste of time. That's all, you, that's all some of you guys can think about. If it's not producing, like, a possible mate, you're like, I'm not doing that, you know? <laughs> right? Like, your parents want to go somewhere, and you're like, are there going to be ladies there? Because if not, I'm out, you know? <laughs> right? Like, your whole mindset is, listen, I want to get somewhere. I want to get married. You know, the, the single lady song isn't working for my encouragement anymore. I need something else. And so this you would have seen as discouragement, but... Uh, when you buy a Hebrew slave, this is what happens. If he, if he comes in single, he should go out single. If he comes in married, uh, then his wife shall go with him. Verse 4, if his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. So the principle of this rule number one, there's going to be eight, is called limited service. The reason why this is called limited service is because what happens in verse 5. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through, uh, through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. So in other words, there's such a value of life, you can choose to be a slave for this family. Um, so we've really wrestled with my daughter on when to get her ears pierced. And um, ladies in here, like, like, what was the age that you got your ears pierced? Just throw out some numbers. Ten, five, are you serious? Um, anyone, like, under four years old got your ear pierced? Okay, a few of you. So we really wrestled as a family. We're like, look, I, you know, I don't know. Avery has several 
uh, friends that have her ears pierced. Well, the other thing that my daughter uh, did was she would suck her thumb. And how many, how many thumb suckers here, okay? So some of you not raising your hand because you're currently sucking your thumb, and that's really <laughs> incredibly embarrassing, you know? Um, my daughter sucked her thumb a lot. And so, you know, we were wrestling with Linda, pierce her ear, and so I came to her and I said, hey, so I want to negotiate with you a little bit, Avery. Um, I realize you're going to be eight soon, and probably you shouldn't be sucking your thumb in public anymore at eight years old. It's kind of embarrassing, right? And, you know, you know there's teeth effects and thumb effects and whatnot. So I was like, how about this? How about on your, you, you quit sucking your thumb, and on your, on your eighth birthday, which is coming up this Sunday, uh, you can get your ears pierced. And so, sure enough, like, negotiated, like, instantaneously, that girl stopped sucking her thumb. I didn't realize piercing your ears was so important to the, the female uh, origination, and some of you males, okay? And so, um, so I did put some stipulations on the ear piercing, though. I said, um, it must not be metallic, so no gold, no bronze, no silver. It needs to be wood, okay? Because I, 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 I don't want it to be flashy at all. So it needs to be wood, and I can't see it, so I don't want to be able to see it. So like some small speckle of an ear piercing, um, you know, with, with wood, and that's what we're going to go with. So we'll see how it goes. She's getting her ear pierced on Saturday. Does it hurt? Like, is it a painful process? Okay, some mixed reviews there. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure tying, tying your ear and like the doorpost awling like way of piercing your ears was not so great, okay? Let me read this verse again. Look at this. Uh, um, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear. Like, how, did you show up at, what's the place you get your ear pierced called? Like Claire's? <laughs> did you show up at Claire's? You're like, hello, miss, I'd like to bore out my ear now, you know? <laughs> Do we have a boring utensil here, right? Like, get out the chisel? No, I mean, this is intense, but it's showing the, the valuation of life. It's saying, like, look, we value life so much like this person can literally become a part of the family. So there's rule number two. Rule number three, this gets crazy. Verse seven, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, okay, this is, this is strange, right? I mean, listen, let's be honest. If you had the chance to study this passage on your own, most of you would be like one, two, skip a few, Matthew chapter five, right? Like that's, that's, how, many, that's how many of you would approach this, right? I mean, it's like I, I want nothing to do with this text. But, but listen, here's the thing, and I, I was talking to a good friend after, after our first gathering. This is in the Bible. This is why we preach verse by verse, so that we can wrestle with these texts and then teach them from a biblical standpoint. So, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do, thankfully, right? If she does not please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. You see the valuation of life? If she does not please the master then she's to be let go. She's to be free. She's to be, as the word says, redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has broken faith with her. This is beautiful. Valuation of life. God is gifting the people with the right image that we are here to value life. And let me just make sure it's clear, this teaching has not changed. The whole principle that all this text is based on is a valuation of life. Jesus said the two greatest commandments are to love God and love people. We value God's life. We value the lives of others. This is the principle for the Hebrews. It's the principle for us. So the question is, are you, am I, are we valuing life truly? 
Okay, though it seems weird in the context of slavery, it's certainly valuing life. Verse 9, if he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as, as a daughter. Like, she's going to be a part of the family. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, verse 10, her clothing, or her marital rights. And finally, if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money, just in case you were all wondering. I'm not saying this is easy to study. I'm saying the principle that all this is building on is a valuation of life. So let's continue to get weird, shall we? Verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Here we go. Um, my guess is around some lunch tables, dinner tables, you know, just where people talk about murder. Um, you've had some conversations before that have wrestled with the principle, how do we deal with people that kill other people? What's the approach? What's the right approach? Maybe you've even had the conversation, what's the biblical approach? What's the godly approach? Just so we're all reading the same Bible. In my Bible, Exodus chapter 21, it says, Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Now, what that means for us, what that means for our culture now, we're going to get to. But as long as we're all reading the same Bible, for the community of the Israelites, this was the principle. You kill someone, you die. Look at this. There's exceptions. If he did not lie in wait for him, if he hadn't been like, you know, setting it all up, strategizing the death, but God let him fall into his hand, we're not exactly sure how that could happen, then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. It's an island, right? So if all of a sudden you weren't planning on killing someone, and you know, you like all of a sudden this person happened upon you, and there's, I guess, a litany of ways this could happen, then you go to the island, okay? But, verse 14, if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Here's my question. Has punishment or the fear of punishment deterred sin. Sin is so heinous that you can have rules like this, and yet these people disobeyed. Sin is so heinous that we can have structure in our culture for deterring crime, and yet somehow crime and evil still take place. Why is that? It's again reminding us of how deplorable and deep sin really is. That there could be literally life repercussions for your sin, and you would still choose that. Now, maybe you're like, well, I'm not a murderer. Never killed nobody, never thought about killing anyone today. Um, but the same could be said of pornography. The repercussions of pornography are tremendous. Years and years and years of images that are cataloged in your mind. The way you portray and see females right? The repercussions of sin are tremendous. You know that those are the repercussions. We've taught you that. Your friends have encouraged you with that. The scripture affirms that. And yet, despite the punishment, despite the circumstance, despite the repercussion, we still sin. The gossiping and the judgment that you do of others, the hindering of relationships, the ways that you have defamed others, though knowing the repercussion would be tremendous, my point is sin is so deplorable that even the repercussions of them do not deter us. So was it going to deter these people? I don't know. But God was trying to set a structure, a community, talking to the entire country of what would be the better way to live. It's better not to kill. If someone does kill, then they should be killed themselves. I call these next three verses in our next rule uh, the parental form. And certainly some of you parents should put this on the fridge. Whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. It's interesting, right? 
right? Like whoever strikes. This would be an interesting principle if we adhere to this, right? Listen, if you hit mom or dad, you die, okay? Right? Like this would be an interesting, like, if we start abiding by this, if we start living by this, this would be, this would be pretty, pretty interesting. Whoever, and I don't know why the, the transition from 15 to 16 and back to 17, not sure, but verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in his possession of him shall be put to death. So now we add the stealing. And look at verse 17. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. This is how serious honor your father and mother is in this early development of community for the Israelites. If you curse your parents, you die. How many of you are dead right now? Okay. You're dead. You're dead. She gone, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I've tried to do as much research as I, could, as I can about what the curse here is. And I think there's actually several different possibilities. One is um, that you don't take care of your parents post-death or, or post their age. So in other words, they, they get old, okay, and then you, you leave them. You let them fend for themselves. Well, in this culture, that's incredibly detrimental because they don't have, like, nursing homes, Okay. Um, so if you curse them in that way, you die. I mean, think of how intense this is. This is a very intense situation. I think there's also a vocal piece to this. You defame your parents publicly. You go against them vocally. You disrespect your elders. You die. Our next set, look at this. When men quarrel and when one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist. <laughs> uh, one of the coolest things I ever did in my life um, <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, speaking at Christian High School one time, and I love uh, CHS. I know many of you guys are from there, and I'll be uh, there at chapel next Thursday for the first chapel. It'll be a lot of fun, but uh, I, I, I brought all the teachers up, unbeknownst to them, and I said this, all right, if you've ever been in a fist fight, I want you to step forward. Well, this is Christian High School, you know, so it's kind of like <laughs> everyone's like prim and proper, you know. Interestingly enough, the majority of the people who took a step forward were the females, which I just love this. And then what I did, then what I did is I took a microphone and one by one I interviewed all these females who had been in a fist fight before. Okay? So it was just awesome because there was a new level of respect for all these female teachers, right? You know, because some of these female teachers were like, kumbaya, my lord. And they were like talking about how they put the smack down on somebody, you know? So like all these dudes were like, you are now epic forever, you know? So ladies, how many of you have been in a fist fight? Okay? Six of us, okay. I was hoping that the number would be a little bit higher in the case of zombie apocalypse, like we would have something to work with, you know what I'm saying? It's like, let's just go ahead and sacrifice the females, you know? I'm just kidding, just kidding. Not really. Um, how many of you men, though, been in a fist fight? Okay. Brandon, we're in big trouble. Uh, the percentage of those who have fought in this room is about 7%, okay? So we don't know what we're doing. But look at, look at this. Look at this law, verse 18. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone, which is far more effective, or with his fist, and the man does not die, look at this, but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. This is amazing. So if I'm planning to, like, almost kill someone and they walk out with their staff days later, I'm good to go, right? I mean, this is classic people. You see a law that you can, like, toe the line, and then you're like, that is my favorite, you know? 
All right, listen, dude, here's the plan. We're going to get in a fight. I'm going to absolutely kick your RC Cola, and then you're almost going to be near death, but according to the law, I'm going to put you in a bed, and then we're going to walk you out with a staff, and I'm good to go, right? Like, this is how we function. We're instantly thinking of the ways that we can come close to breaking the law without breaking it, okay? Now, look at this. This gets better. And he sh- uh, uh, only he shall pay for the loss of time, and shall have him thoroughly healed. So he pays a couple bucks, and he's good to go. When a man, however, verse 20, strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. What? <laughs> you smack him, he survives, good to go, okay? And, and, and you may be like, well, this is, this is not valuation of life. And the reality is, it, it actually is. Because God is setting up structure for ways, sometimes odd, sometimes unorthodox, that this community could learn how to value one another. Now, I want you to strap on your seatbelt a bit, okay? Um, we're about ready to get into some of the weightiest topics that our culture deals with. So, let's just go for it. Check this out. Um, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, to, let's understand the scene, there's a pregnant woman, and apparently some men decide that they're going to hit her, which instantly, like, there should be something in all of you that, you know, is, there's something like mustering up, like, this is not good, this is not right, Look, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall be surely fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. If she gives birth upon being hit and that baby's fine, then you pay a fine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Now, this is interesting. I'm pretty sure in the abortion doctrines of the scripture, this verse is rarely used. However, maybe it should be. Do we have an understanding? Uh, someone hits a pregnant woman, she has a baby, and that baby dies. And what the scripture says is life for life. In other words, that child in the womb, fetus, is life. We together? It's another way that God is affirming that this text, that this gift, and these laws is evaluation of life. This fetus, this child, this baby, if they die, then it's you die too, because that is a life. This gets more intense. Look at this. Um, eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So if you get out a match and you burn me on the hand, I'm going to get out my match and burn you on the hand. Okay? You cut off my foot somehow, (laughs) I'm going to cut off yours. Right? And as I like start to think about this principle, I start wondering to myself, Like, is this even what we want? Like, would the people have seen this as a good thing? Like, hey, you cut off my my hand. I'm not sure I want to cut off your hand. Right? I I don't know that that interests me. I'm not sure that I'm instantly thinking, hey, could you bring your hand over here? Because I'm going to give it a little whop, you know? (laughs) Those aren't the things that are instantly going through my mind. But most of you have driven on the road before. Just moseying along, 16 over the speed limit, right? <laughs> 76 on 60 and that portion by mid-river is on 70, right? <laughs> right? And all of a sudden someone cuts you off, okay? 
And for the majority of us, those who are actually living, for the majority of us, there's something that happens inside, right? I, I, know, I know a few of us can just, you know, kind of turn it away, but there's something instantane- instantaneously that happens in some of us where it's like, put on the gas, and we're going to veer around in the hopes of making eye contact, and even potentially, we may give them a good God bless America right out the window, you know what I'm saying, Right? Because there is this thought in us that's like, you cut me off, not only do you need to know that you cut me off, but now I'm going to do the exact same thing so that you can know how it feels. That's the principle. I'm going to do to you what's been done to me so that you know how it feels. Well, this is heavy stuff, and it opens up all kinds of questions, questions of which we'll deal with here in a second, but let's keep going. When a man strikes, continuing in verse 26, when a man strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. Interesting. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go for free because of his tooth. So I don't know if if you're like me, I'm like a slave, like like trying to get up close and personal with my master, you know, hey, Duke, you knock out a molar, man, and I'm out of here, you know, I mean, trying to get get a tooth so I can go for free, right? All of this opens up um, cans of worms that I'm sure you've at least wrestled with. I want to begin by saying, as we build this doctrine with your seatbelt on, um, by saying that the principle, the base work of eye for an eye or tooth for tooth is surrounding a pregnant woman. That's where it starts, okay? So there's all kinds of questions then. What does a passage like this mean for retaliation? What does this mean for war? What does this mean for self-defense? What does eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth um, mean for those who are being persecuted? And on and on and on. These questions are numerous. And so let's build some biblical doctrine, shall we? All of this, I believe, is incredibly biblical. But it's something at Matthias that we hold in our open hand. In other words, the doctrine of retaliation is not on our doctrine statement. Okay? This is not a closed-handed issue. This is, this is something that we're open for discussion, but tonight we want to communicate um, where tonight my heart has been convicted on uh, from these texts. Does that make sense? Okay. Some of you may have varied opinions, and we can talk through those. It's an open-handed issue here at Matthias. Uh, Christology, not an open-handed issue. Closed-handed at Matthias. Okay? So let's start here with another a passage in the Old Testament that talks about this. Leviticus chapter 21. Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Does this have anything to do with pregnancy now? No, it's important to understand this. The origination in Exodus is pregnancy. Now we've moved on. So whatever is getting ready to be said now includes uh, some other things. Whoever takes an animal's life shall, uh, shall make it good. PETA, you know, here comes PETA. And is PETA the right thing? I don't know. Okay, it's like FDA, FCA, you know, whatever. PETA, animal people. Um, how many of you guys really like animals? Okay. That's great, right? It's awesome. Same people that like fistfights. If anyone, <laughs> if anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, okay? Eye for eye. Think about that. Like someone breaks your arm, and you're like, you know, come here. Let's, and you're, I mean, you're breaking their arm in your hands? This is strange. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. I want you to see this. Pregnancy leaves. Now, this is in general. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, enters in to Old Testament law. There's another mention, though, in Deuteronomy. Check this out, okay? 
a little bit lengthier of a passage. A single witness shall not suffice against a person. This is a good thing. It needs multiple witnesses. If you've ever seen Law and Order, this still stays true. Did your parents ever watch Law and Order? Dun, 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 dun. It's a pretty good song, isn't it? Puts me to sleep, but neither here nor there. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrongdoing in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only as the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. We understand this. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in these days. This is just setting up what he's getting ready to say. Look at this. Continue on Deuteronomy 19. Uh, the judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, he goes on. The key piece is verse 21. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. The three major mentions in the Old Testament of this principle. What does that mean for us? Are you currently functioning under this principle? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. What does Jesus say about these things? What are the principles for us? Is God a pacifist? All right. Here's what Jesus says. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5. You have heard, it, uh, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Don't you love that Jesus quotes the Old Testament? It would be pretty discouraging if he didn't, wouldn't it? Hey, look, I know that Old Testament stuff is really nice and talks about me a whole lot, but we're just going to get on past that. I love the fact that he's constantly showing that he has come to fulfill the law, okay? But I say to you, and the word but there is key. I asked Jared, our Greek scholar here, instantly I was like, but what does that word really mean? If it's, if it's like a conjunction, which I don't even know what that is, but if, if, it's, if it's a grammatical transitional word, okay, then he's saying that, it, that whatever he's getting ready to say after the first is the opposite. You've heard it said eye for an eye or tooth for tooth, but now I'm going to say something different. This word here actually means now. Okay, So you've heard it said eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Now I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Right? And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Could you imagine this in court, right? Someone's suing you for your tunic, and you're like, here, just take my cloak. You know, I didn't need this cloak anyway. Some of you would be glad to give up your cloak, you know. Um, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Most of you have never even walked two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This seems contradictory to the Old Testament. Do we have an agreement? Okay, thank you, the one of you, all right? For the rest of you, this appears contradictory. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. This does not seem like that's the principle. Big distinction. Let's make it now. Who is God talking to in uh, Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, and in Exodus? Who is he talking to? The Jews, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the nation, the people, the governing body, the community of people that are starting to be established. In other words, God is setting a principle for a community of people to live by. Do you guys understand? Okay? A country, a nation, a people. That is different than the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching, yes, to a community of people because they're there. But ultimately, this teaching, as you'll find in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, is really directed at individuals. So, in other words, there is a difference biblically when you're talking about a group of people and how they're to respond to one another, at least biblically, and then how an individual is to respond interpersonally to an individual, okay? 
Jesus goes on to say this in Luke, which helps us, I think. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, which all of you are proficient at. Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Let's pause. The amount of time that Christians have been spent uh, talking about ISIS and the Iraqi crisis, um, I really think would be interesting to find out how much time they spent pleading for the salvation of those who are killing children. Is what's needed that Christians talk about it a lot, or that Christians pray for salvation? Is what's needed that, politi- uh, that Christians all of a sudden find ourselves p- uh, politically acute, or is it that Christians get on their face, get on their knees, and pray for those who are persecuting other Christians? It really shows the heart of us, doesn't it? Are we really interested in those children that are being heinously killed? Is that really our interest? Or is our interest another opportunity to talk about gossip? And you're like, Mark, how dare you say that the talking of children is gossip? But listen, how many of your awarenesses has been heightened and how much time has been spent on your knees in prayer? We're not so different than culture often. We want the next big story. We want the next big thing. My heart has absolutely broken, and I can't even begin to think about those stories and read some of the articles that I've read, but I pray for you and I pray for myself that that turns into praying for those who are persecuting other believers around the world. I think you'd agree with me if God could save those hearts, and certainly he can, that that would completely reverse our understanding of the situation, wouldn't it? It'd be unbelievable what God can do, and he can. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. I know many of you guys are great at that. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. You know, it's the same principle. Like, here, man, have both my cloak and my tunic. It's all good. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do to them also. I think we have another piece of this passage from Luke 6 next. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? That's easy. Okay? Like, if we're already best friends forever and I'm loving you back, I mean, that's wheelhouse. There's no sacrifice in that. Okay? For even sinners love those who love them. Agree? I mean, that, that's like the easiest thing to do in the world is be blessed by those who encourage you. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And on and on and on. These are the major principles in the Scripture, in the Scripture, about this topic. And you're like, well, what does it mean? That's what I want to talk about next. How do we respond to all of these texts? What does it mean for you and I? Are you ready for this? Thank you. What is our response? Okay, first, ultimate justice is in the hands of God who has temporarily placed it in the hands of the governing authorities. First, let's define justice. Here's what Tim Keller says about justice, a baller pastor from New York, just a stud theologian, love this guy. Here's what he says. Giving people what they are due, whether punishment or protection or care. So let's read it again. Ultimate justice is in the hands of God who has temporarily placed it in the hands of the governing authorities. In other words, we exist right now in a culture where a government has set up a certain regime on how to fight crime, on how to protect, on how to uh, go to war, on how to not go to war. And what the scripture makes clear, and we're going to see this in a second, is we are to submit to our governing authorities as long as those governing authorities do not go against the gospel or do not rather ask us to go against the gospel. And in that case, we submit to God before the governing authorities. For the same folks that say that, um, that we should never go to war, 
because we're to turn the other cheek without exception. We are never, ever, ever to retaliate. There is no situation where we should ever retaliate. For those people that say that, then we also need to get rid of all police. So for those folks that desire that, please stand up, okay? Some of you guys have watched The Purge, okay? Just every day. Full crime, no cops, everyone just going to it, turning the other cheek. Is that the principle? There is a system of justice that our government has set up, even a punishment structure. Here's what Romans 13 says about it. Okay, this is important. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is in the, the word. Okay, this isn't like Romans chapter 26, and we just, we're putting it up here. This is in God's word. All right. By the way, if you're ever dating someone and you're like, hey, so what's your favorite Bible verse? And they say something like Matthew 30, always make sure that that chapter actually exists, okay? One of the greatest indicators that you're dating someone who's not spiritually active is that, you know? Oh, yeah, my favorite chapter is like Hesitations chapter 3. That's not in the Bible. Um, Okay? Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Here's what we believe here. God is sovereign. Rules and reigns over everything. That means that everything that is happening on this earth is under his authority. That means he can intervene at any point that he desires. He's also given rule and reign, the scripture says in Ephesians, to the prince of the air, or the world as it were, in Satan. So he's given some authority to Satan for a period of time before he squashes his head. But every governing authority is given that position from God. Jesus makes this clear with Pilate. Some of you guys know the end of the story of Jesus. Pilate's like, Jesus, don't you know I can release you? I can let you go right now, man. Like, let's have a conversation. Answer my questions. I don't even want to kill you, Jesus. You can go. You guys know what Jesus says? You have been given authority. Like, there's no authority that you have on your own. I'm going to the cross. You're mistaken about the authority that you think that you have. So these governing authorities have been instituted, allowed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, allowed, in his sovereignty, overseeing as it were, okay? And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. This is like allowing governments to fight crime, okay? Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. Punishment. Possible, happens, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath um, on the wrongdoer. So the very first principle here is we submit to the governing authorities as long as those governing authorities aren't asking us to go against the gospel, and we're submitting to the governing authorities understanding that they're going to set up a structure of crime fighting. Do we agree with their policy? Certainly. But why does that surprise you? It still cracks me up that Christians think that non-Christians should be acting like Christians. And I'm not saying that every crime fighter is a non-believer, nor am I saying that every politician is a non-believer. There are certainly strong believers in all offices. But it surprises us when someone like, you know, is against Christian morality. Oh my goodness, I cannot believe they would believe that. They don't believe in Jesus. Like Like what reason would they believe in this? Well, it's just pure morality. Then you're not understanding the depth of sin. The depth of sin fogs basic morality. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like the very principle from Cain and Abel should not be, like a brother probably shouldn't kill another brother. 
Sin fogs judgment, okay? We should not be surprised when there's corruption all around us. Right? So the principle here is, listen, there is punishment for crime. And we submit to the governing authorities to carry that out. All right? Second principle, and certainly more lighthearted, probably not, pertaining to interpersonal conflict, just cause allows a biblically permissible action in response to harm or wrongdoing that is initiated with you. Someone comes in my house. I have three kids sleeping upstairs and a wife that knows karate in the bedroom. She doesn't, um, but she's pretty hardcore. Um, so the question is, what am I going to do? An intruder comes in. Well, I don't, I don't own a gun, and I probably should not say that publicly. I do not own a gun today. However, tomorrow I will be getting one, several, <laughs> three of them. Um, I don't own a gun. But I really, I have a really hardcore spatula that currently is my weapon of choice. You'd be surprised what that weapon can do. It has like that open whisk there, so man, it flies through the air. So let's get really practical here. Intruder comes to my house, kids upstairs, wife that will put the smack down, you know, sleeping. What do I do? Biblically, if I put all of this together, what's my action? Do I like walk up to the, you know, the perpetrator and I'm like, hey, would you mind hitting this cheek? And then right after you do that, I'm going to turn the other one. And then I'm going to give you my tunic and my cloak. You know? Is that, is that my response? Just cause means that there are certain situations that we not only watch through Scripture, but certainly are practically applicable, where just cause would allow actions bathed in mercy. Let me explain. When that perpetrator comes in my doors, if I have been walking with the Lord, intimately connected with Him, fruits of the Spirit being portrayed and lived out in my life, then literally, amidst the flood of emotions, the initial thought when all of that happens and my heart's pumping out of my chest is mercy. The fruits of the Spirit, one of them is not hatred. And let's just go ahead and agree. In that moment, it is insanely tough not to hate. It's insanely tough not to act out of vengeance. It's insanely tough not to like, you know, like double barrel, just machine gun, piling, you know, piling away. It's incredibly tough. I desire mercy, that's my heart, okay? But there's a greater harm. The greater harm in this moment is I got kids upstairs and a wife that will straight put the smack down on this dude over here. And so I'm going to intervene, and I'm in self-defense going to protect my family. Though I desire mercy, though that's my heart, I, I do not want to kill you. Remember, the sixth commandment is do not murder, I do not want to murder you. That's not my heart. My intent is not to bash your skull, and that's really not where I'm at. What I do want to do is make sure my children are protected and my wife is. And the reality is, if you go in there with my wife, good luck to you, because she's going to, you know, she's going to smack you with more than one spatula, you know? 
And so just cause, there's three cases that I really see and understand, self-defense being one of them. But if your heart, not bathed in the spirit, is instant anger and hatred, there's a difference. You guys see what I'm saying? That's not merciful. It comes with a heart that's been bathed in the scripture, being led by the spirit, that can actually live this out. That can actually say, love your enemies. But somehow, in that moment of utter chaos in your home, I still love that enemy. I've gotten to witness recently some of the craziest acts of forgiveness I could ever even imagine. And I can't go into all the details of them, but let me just tell you something. Grace, forgiveness, and mercy are some of the most beautiful things, especially in times when it makes absolutely no sense. And I would argue that actually that's most of the time, if not all the time. So just cause first is self-defense. Uh, the second just cause that I believe we can look at turn the other cheek and understand it biblically is protecting the helpless. Orphans, widows, the disenfranchised, the struggling, the poor, whatever it is, the helpless, we intervene not with a picket stand, but with love, grace, and mercy, figuring out in that context what protection of them looks like. Again, not out of vengeful hatred, but the sole motive being protecting the orphan. There's a difference. You guys see what I'm saying? There's a difference if someone is going against the orphan and I say, I hate you so much that you're doing this act, now I'm going to take all of my, venge uh, my vengefulness out on you. There's a difference in that to, I must protect the orphan. And so because of that, here's what that means for you and I. In other words, no one would say right now, if we were in an orphanage on a mission trip, and people started coming in and taking people, there was not one of us in this room that would say that you would just sit and watch it happen. And you would say, you know, turn the other cheek. No, like in that moment, don't you believe that the Spirit would guide you to step in and protect the orphan? Right? When you're walking in the Spirit, these things become clear because the Spirit leads you. You don't have to like all of a sudden think like, is this biblically permissible? I'm not sure. I need to check my, you know, back to Exodus. And what did they say about this? No, it's just, you're walking in step with the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit guides you. Uh, the third instance, and this is maybe the most difficult to discern, is life-threatening evil. So just cause can be self-defense, it can be helping the helpless, and it can also be battling the life-threatening evils of the world. And again, all of these things take tremendous um, discernment, and it's tough to navigate through this, but just cause is when we, as number two says here, allows a biblically permissible action in response to harm or wrongdoing, okay? Uh, do you remember when Jesus comes into the temple and he clears it out? That's a biblically permissible response to how others are initiating in that moment, okay? So the third principle here, and this is, this is kind of tough, okay? Third principle. Next uh, slide. For your unsaved adversary... Plead genuinely for their salvation and let your heart be filled with the desire for mercy. So in our third response, here's what happens. All of my enemies who are not, are not saved, I spend the majority of my time, instead of writing hatred notes on my heart to them, 
And, you know, and some of you guys have prayed for him. And here's, here's how the prayer went. Dear God, thank you so much for my enemy. If you wouldn't mind, God, today as they're driving in their car, if you could drop a large rock from heaven that smashes through their window and crushes their skull, that would be really nice, God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Like, that's some of your prayers, right? It's like, Lord, look, if you could just, you know, wipe them away and, you know, maybe not make it hurt for too long, that would be really, really great. It's a whole nother thing to plead for your enemies. That's what Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, I want to show you this uh, Romans 12 text, which will help shed some light on this. Check this out. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Come on. I mean, bless them. Pray for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Look at this. Repay no one evil for evil. Do not murder. That's the sixth commandment. Evil for evil, we do not repay, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here we go. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Let me guarantee you one thing. The unsaved man in Iraq who's killing babies... If on the day of his deathbed he has not pronounced Christ as his Savior, wrath will be his. Vengeance will be God's. And if he comes to Christ, I don't know about you, I say praise be to God. I want to see the murderers get saved. The rapists get saved. Hey, let's get real. I want to see the pedophiles come to Christ. Not so that man may boast. But so in those moments, the power of Christ could truly be revealed. Are you guys, is somebody with me? Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see ISIS and all of the parties that are with that come to Christ. It's God's to avenge. The weight is off of our shoulders. We do not have to get revenge. It's better, while they're in the flesh on the earth, that they get saved. That they come to Christ. And so that means our action is releasing vengeance to the Lord and instead taking our role as pleading for their soul. And I'm just asking, is that the heart of the Christian in America? Is that what we're doing? And I would say we're great at writing Facebook posts that are ticked off about all the areas of the world that are doing all kinds of heinous things, and we're really, really poor at praying for them. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is a reality. It will happen. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. I mean, this is... Basic biblical principle, for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I just want to make sure that you understand that is possible here and now as we await the final overcoming of evil. As horrific and heinous as sin is now, as deep as it is now, good can, even here and now, by the gospel of Christ as the Spirit works out in your life, can overcome evil. So to the unbeliever, we pray. Uh, Back to my third principle. To the believer, here's what we do. For your Christian brother and sister, seek reconciliation in all things and live in harmony with one another as it depends on you. There are so many people in this body that are unbelievable at reconciliation and there's one common denominator, they talk about things. We are pros at harboring hatred. And we've got like ports all over our soul that, you know, just boats of harboring all kinds of chaos that just sits in there. The people that are great at reconciliation actually talk to people. 
They know that to reconcile. We have to like talk this out. Hey, brother in Christ, you know what? You said this, and this really, it hurt my feelings. And I know it may sound cheesy that I'm saying that because I'm a guy, but you know what? It hurt my feelings. And I know sticks and stones may break in my, you know, I know all that, but it hurt my feelings. Giving them a chance to repent, working through biblical reconciliation. And instead, what do we do? We harbor, 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 hatred builds, judgment grows, gossip runs the show, and then one day we blow up. And it may not be at that person, it may be at somebody else, paying the repercussions for that harboring hatred against somebody else. And you know as well as I do, that's happened before. You've been chapped at somebody, and some other person gets in your way, and it's go time. When all the while, reconciliation was possible. Live at peace with one another, in harmony with each other. This is ours in Christ. This is the beauty of mercy. And instead, what are Christians showing the world? Listen, we don't talk about our problems, and we don't show mercy. So instead, we just harbor. At times that it's convenient, we hold a picket. We write a Facebook post or, you know, post some Instagram picture with us going against the evils of the world. And then all of a sudden, world, you're just supposed to know that we're merciful. And they're like, that's not merciful at all. There's so many questions left open in this whole argument. The big thing I want you to leave with in this piece is it's really, really easy to talk about politics and policy and all kinds of stuff in this situation. And I just want to remind you that every politician that is a politician right now has been allowed their office from God, and that office is temporary, and there's one office that's eternal, and that's a God who sits on a throne. President of the United States, the last four years, our God is an eternity. Well, that seems like a whole lot, and this passage isn't even done yet, okay? Check this out. Here we go. Let's finish this uh, on ox and goring. At least it ends exciting. Look at this. When an ox gores a man, of course, as they do, when an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But look at this. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore, right? So if you've got a naughty ox, you better get that thing under reins, right? <laughs> and its owner has been warned but has not kept it and it kills a man or a woman, that ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. you got bad oxen. I mean, you're going to die too. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for, the, uh, for him the redemption of, of his life, whatever is imposed on him. And finally, in our last two verses of Exodus 31, if it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be put to death uh, with according to, to the same rule. And again, this is evaluation of life. An animal is not above a man. Okay, I know some of you guys who have pets that you're really, really close to, you, like, you exalt them beyond that. There's a reason why Adam names the animals and not the animals naming Adam. Okay, finally, verse 32 if the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Um, 30 shekels of silver. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have a shekel. This is what 30 pieces of silver looks like. And uh, when I read this verse initially, I started thinking, this isn't the only time in Scripture that we see 30 pieces of silver. Uh, check this out in Matthew's Gospel. Look at this. Here's what Matthew says in chapter 26. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 
30 pieces of silver. The same cost to pay for a slave was the exact same cost to betray the Savior. And so what the scripture says in Matthew, and from that moment he sought an an opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver pays for a slave. 30 pieces of silver betrays the Savior. Here's what I want you to understand. Every feeling that you feel against the people in Iraq, every thought you've had, every frustration you've had, Every desire in your heart to go over and just start smoking everybody. Every passion in your heart against every enemy you've ever compiled in your entire life. All of those feelings, all of that hatred, all of that judgment, that is the exact feeling that God should have towards you. Your deepest hatred, your deepest lack of mercy and grace is exactly the way God should be towards you and be towards me. Denying us, hating us, judging us, leaving us for dead, betraying us in the face of our betrayal, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But guess what? Because of 30 pieces of silver and greater, the sovereignty of God, our Christ, died so that you could, yes, receive mercy that makes no sense that God could all of a sudden say look you deserve life from life eye for an eye tooth for tooth you've done it all in your heart and for each of those offenses you deserve death but there's a different way it's the way of mercy it's the opportunity for grace it's the chance to know that yes in Christ Every thought that God should have against you instead through His Son sees you as a son and a daughter. Church, this is why we can experience joy amidst the chaos of the world. The corruption, the depth of sin, it's heartbreaking. But all the while, you and I in Christ have tasted mercy and known grace. And so we have the chance to look at the world and say, here is why we are the way we are. We have been given much grace, and so we must give much grace. Our lives have the chance to reflect the powerful, deep love of Christ to a lost and dying world who live under the fog of sin. You've been given mercy. And if not, you can. It's here. So tonight we worship, not burdened by laws, but freed by grace. Let's stand and worship in spirit and truth tonight.